Talks, a chat with Finance Malta, is the podcast series that gives you short, thoughtful and regular insights from leading experts of the financial services industry. I'm Vanessa MacDonald. Welcome. Welcome to this latest edition of FinTalks, the Finance Malta series of podcasts which are there to help people in the financial services sector understand a little bit more about their obligations and, of course, their opportunities. Today, I'm really pleased to have with me Antoine Fenech, who is the Audit and Assurance Director of Deloitte Malta. Antoine is going to be talking to us about, oh dear, dare I say it, your reporting obligations, which I understand are uh, quite a burden for most people, but it's really good to have them summarised here. Antoine, welcome. So, perhaps you can start by explaining some of the regulatory burden with responsibility, which seems to be getting worse, not easier. First of all, uh, good morning, Vanessa, and thank you for the invite. It's such a pleasure to be here with you and sharing a bit of our experience and overview of the requirements that are coming in. As you mentioned, I think it's quite a worry uh, for companies, for CFOs, for the business in general, with the new requirements coming in and keeps getting more complicated as we, tend, as we tend to see it. I think what we have today within the ESG space is more the non-financial reporting directive, so the NFRD, and that only applies to very large companies, so listed companies with more than 500 employees. And there's only a handful of companies that today fall within this. Uh, well, especially directive. in Malta, of course, yes. Exactly, mm. so in Malta it's very few, very few companies that have to worry about this. I think moving on, uh, as part of the EU's commitment for 2050 net zero uh, strategy, they have implemented a number of reporting obligations uh, and increasing the breadth uh, of companies that fall within that scope. And they introduced two or three really main directives that, that start to apply. The first being EU taxonomy, so basically that is a requirement for companies to highlight on the revenue expenditure and capital expenditure, how much of their activity can be green, so eligibility against uh, the ESG criteria, and how much of it is actually green in practice, so the alignment. So going forward, they need to start disclosing these two components. The next is the CSRD, so the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. Okay, And this is basically a continuation from the NFRD. What it has changed is that going forward, large, all large companies across the EU will fall in the scope of this regulation. So that means that any company who meets two out of three of the criteria set within that standard will have to start reporting uh, on a much bigger, bigger topic. And the criteria are three. First, a balance sheet of 25 million, revenue of 50 million, and employees of 250. So if any company, any group of companies together at a consolidated level meet two out of these three, will fall into scope. And any listed companies as well, irrespective of their size. There's a small exception, uh, the micro listed entities that do not need to report, but in general, all listed entities plus private entities that, that, are, large, uh, that are large companies. What? advice would you give? Because I mean, at the end of the day, this is like the, the minimum that the EU wants. 
having, having said that, there's also not just the stick, but there's also the carrots. A lot of shareholders, a lot of uh, retail customers, investors and so on, are actually expecting better ESG from their, uh, from their suppliers, providers. So should companies that don't fall under these directives also start maybe the process of reporting? Yeah, absolutely. So besides the large companies, you also have, as you mentioned, quite an increased uh, investor stakeholder interest in this area. So even though smaller companies, similar to our local market, right, we have a large business community made up of SMEs. So in their own merit, they will not be required to report under these directives. However, because of their customers or because they're even serving certain or they're part of the supply chain of larger organizations, which they will be part of this journey, we've seen it already. They're asking for this information to understand where these companies are coming from, even from a bank's perspective. So anyone wanting to obtain finance, the banks are asking for this information. Bearing in mind that the loans and the borrowings that these companies are obtaining from the banks, they're actually the assets of the bank. So bearing in mind that the banks have their own reporting obligations on their assets, they want to make sure that everything is moving in, in, in the right And it's direction. interesting because even a lot of financial services companies are actually issuing their own, uh, you know, green credentials, their own, as you say, ESG and ethics, ethical policies and so on. So, gosh, it's unheard of a, a decade ago. So it's all, it's all moving in the right direction. So tell me more about the reporting obligations, because obviously uh, the, the, the non-financial reporting is just yeah, the first the start. start of the whole process. So again, once you start going a step further, so the companies I want to start reporting, I fall within the scope of these regulations. What are the elements that I need to be thinking about? The CSRD has actually set out 12 reporting standards. So they're called ESRSs. So like under the financial world, we have international financial reporting standards that perhaps everyone to an extent is familiar with. Sustainability has created its own standards. And basically I have two standards which are overarching standards which set the base for all the reporting elements. Then you have five standards under the E of ESG, so five around the environment, four under the social aspect, and G, uh, basically a standard around the governance uh, of ESG. So that gives you the, 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 the starting point and data points uh, that companies need to start reporting, reporting under. Now, the benefit of that is that the level of comparability that you can have between entities because everyone is reporting this in a similar fashion, basing on the same standards, same data points. So as a stakeholder, as a user of that information, you can understand that a lot, uh, a lot better. The important thing perhaps for people to understand that under these ESRSs, there's over a thousand data points that companies need to be disclosing. With some of them, each data point is quite extensive to collect the information uh, to report under. So the question becomes, how do I choose? How do I determine? Do I need to report on all of them? Or do I decide or basically narrow down that list to a smaller number? And basically what the regulation has said is called a double materiality assessment. For us accountants, <laughs> we're used to a financial materiality. What is impactful? what is important, what makes a difference 
for my user of the financial statements. And we're typically used to 5% of profit, 2% of revenue. If it's something below that amount, we'll say it's not material. So we don't, in inverted commas, we don't need to worry about it. If it's above, we do. Now, what a double materiality assessment is, you have both financially material, but also impactful material through the impact assessment. So if my stakeholders are interested in a particular subject, because of my industry that I sit within, I also need to provide that information, even though I'm not being material. Case example that I think everyone can relate to, if we talk about fast fashion, um, clothing industry, we've seen it in recent past, how a lot of stakeholders are interested in the supply chain. In the, is there any child labor in that supply chain? Hopefully financially it's zero, so it's definitely not material for that group. But because it's impactful and of interest to the stakeholders, companies need to start sharing some of the information to reassure the stakeholders that that does not exist. Okay, so that's how you determine what you disclose and what you what you don't. So this is what the company is telling me. As a stakeholder, my level of skepticism is extremely high. So how is this verified? Because at the end of the day, you can say anything you want, but it's is it true? Absolutely, and I think this is one of the again for us accountants and auditors is the beauty of the new regulation, so to speak, because it's, for the first time, it has introduced a requirement for an audit, starting with a limited assurance uh, opinion, with the expectation to increase to a reasonable assurance. Um, and that in its own merit will necessitate certain processes in place in the way that data is collected, the way it is stored, the way it is handled, the way it's managed, and the way it's reported, because all of a sudden, from being purely an internal KPI, we now have an external KPI, and I have an external provider which is coming along and issuing their own opinion that everything that I'm saying is basically reliable. Okay, so the question has to be asked, this is all quite new. Do we have the expertise, or is there the expertise out there to sort of audit these kind of touchy-feely things? Um, absolutely. I think it's one of the biggest questions and discussions that we're all having. I do form part of the Institute of Accountants and sit on a number of committees within this space as well, um, as well as even within our network. Um, so, and this is all the time being discussed. How do we upskill uh, our, 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 basically our labour force? How do we upskill our people? How do we upskill ourselves? Because as you said, it's new for everyone around the table. And there are a number of ways that Basically, people can and training sessions that one can um, start attending to be able to upskill uh, upskill themselves. I think there's also a realization that this is not just a world for accountants. There's also the need for engineers, for architects to start coming around the same table to be able to come together and be able to bring this uh, bring this together. Okay, so. Uh we, we know what all of these are, uh, you've mentioned the double materiality issue. Is there also a, a other kind of assessments that are, are required? Yeah, so in terms of what we refer to as gap assessments, so once you identify, based on your double materiality assessment, what you need to disclose on, and you identify the data points that apply to you, one will need to look back on their own business and say, do I have that information? Do I have that data? So you can identify and establish new processes 
on you to be able to collect those data points. Okay, so that is what we refer to as the gap assessment. And if when companies ask me, I'm still at the ground zero in this space, where do I start? And I think it's important to understand that first understand where you are today. So carry your baseline, measure where you sit, then use that information to determine your future strategy. When would the company want to achieve its carbon neutrality or net zero? Is it 2040, is it 2035? And what is the plan to get from where I am today to that point? Okay? And there are even measures as BTI, so science-based targets, of how you can get from where you are today to that point. There's also the introduction of potentially acquiring carbon credits, so you offset part of what you produce. So there's a lot of ways that companies can be doing. And as part of that setting that strategy, then you move focus on the implementation, so trying to achieve uh, that at a step at a time. Listen, you've mentioned the fact that uh, there are many companies in Malta which are the, the SMEs and so on, but we also have another, perhaps, uh, phenomenon here in Malta, which is that many companies are family-owned companies which are not even listed. So, you know, they will, you know, at the end of the day, they may not actually fall under any of these directives. What would your advice to them be? Because, I mean, I think, uh, this I is think what we were saying. If you don't have to do it, why yeah. would you go through all of this um, hassle? Yeah, I think I, for the larger family businesses, typically which are involved in a number of sectors, when you look at it at a consolidated level, there are a small number that will still fall, even though they have no external debt, they have no external equity, they would still fall within... Uh, within within some of those, of the yes, but for the private ones that fall within these thresholds, you have the financing element. Typically, they all have some form of external bank facilities. You have your stakeholders which are getting interested. Even if you're looking to internationalize your business, so if you're dealing with international businesses that are already within this space, you want to market yourself. You want to make sure you are on the trajectory to make yourself competitive with the rest of the market, which would be on this journey. So I feel there's a lot of value add in this journey. And another perhaps what people miss is when you start looking at this in a holistic manner, you can also identify certain areas where there's also financial benefit to be able to achieve. There are certain grants that you can start accessing as a result of this journey. Also some cost savings. The typical example, well, which we see quite a lot, changing from uh, to renewable energy in terms of uh, basically solar panels that are being installed and solar farms on, on roofs of companies moving away from depending on the grid to now being able more uh, sustain, in a sustainable manner and independent, uh, independent as well. Very strong argument, Antoine. If you had to, as a final question, if you had to give us one piece of advice, what would it be? I think start small and identify where you are today because that will give you as well the areas that lend themselves best to improvement. Once you start that journey, once you have the C-suite appreciate the change and appreciate the evolution of the company, I think that will accelerate uh, to a quite a fast, a fast pace. So again, from our own experience, we started maybe 24 months ago, going to C-suite, going to directors, 
people struggling to understand where this is coming. The reaction was very different then to what it's today. Today it's you know very much an open, calm and, and share your experience. How can we get better at what we're doing? Where can we take this? What is the benefit of having this? As opposed to 24 months ago, I've got too many things on my agenda. You know, this is the least of my this problems. This is the least of my problems. You know? So <laughs> it's a journey. It's a journey, and I think it's it's looking ahead. Uh, I think this will be part of the way with the business. It's no longer an ESG. There's no longer a corporate strategy, which are completely separate, but it's one and the same. Antoine, thank you so much for being with us. I'm sure that a lot of people will be listening to this and thinking, hmm, maybe it's about time I started. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Vanessa. It's a pleasure. That's all for today. Subscribe now to the FinTalks and follow Finance Malta on all social media platforms to stay updated with all our activities. Till the next podcast.